There's a spirit of solidarity abroad in the world today that no physical force can crush. It crosses national boundaries and enters into the hearts of men and women everywhere. In factories, farms and schools, in cities and towns around the globe, we, the people of the free world, stand as one with our Polish brothers and sisters. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Panastoria. I'm Lindsay. I'm Jonah. Uh, Kevin is also present. Yeah. Our chief of dinosaur operations has insisted on being in every recording session now. Yeah, he... Um, He's demanding. He is very demanding. Bit oh, bit, don't give me that look, Kevin. Bit of you a know it's true. He's kind of a benevolent dictator, but he's a dictator nevertheless. On a scale, he'd be somewhere between a true neutral and chaotic neutral. Yeah. In some ways, he's kind of inspired... Well... No, he's not really inspired by any of the dictators we've talked about in this season, but he likes the idea of, of, of total power, I think. Nobody inspires Kevin. Kevin inspires others. <laughs> anyway. Kevin only inspires himself. Um, <laughs> although I guess his tiny stature might inspire people to, I don't know, some kind of David and Goliath thing. I'm not really sure. But anyways, today we're talking about solidarity. Yeah, we're finally getting to this thing. We, uh finally figured out our technical issues as you might have noticed so we decided to talk about this episode once again we've pulled a uh pulp fiction and we're not telling the story in order in terms of like poland oh. happened first oh, is yeah, what yeah, i meant yeah. <laughs> for sure and didn't we bump romania for this no we bumped uh the soviet war in right. afghanistan right we bumped that back a few months yeah right That's so that one is going to that one we're going to which is fine this is probably a happier December episode. <laughs> yeah, but then we get into Romania. And True, then it, and then it's sad again. Um, bittersweet. Apologies for the depressing Christmas episode that's about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Stay tuned next uh, next time because Romani- the Romanian Revolution is our Christmas episode. Yeah. You will understand why gonna... <laughs> if you tune in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be great. Anyway. Also, my dad, I, I need to say this before, my dad needs to, me to make a full disclosure that Romania is the motherland. Or the fatherland for us. I can say this next episode. Fuck it. Eh, you can talk about it. No, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we're talking about Poland. Poland is on our mind. Poland on my mind. Sure. All right. Okay. Yeah. As we said, Poland was the first real Eastern European country to actually achieve reform. It's kind of fair that Poland actually gets a good break because they got fucked both ways by the Soviets and the Nazis. And the Nazis. Yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. Both the, the extremes of both ends of the spectrum. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, no, Poland really Poland really got fucked. So they deserved to achieve freedom a little bit faster than everyone else. So yeah, com- communism in Poland traces its roots like every European nation really to the like Marxist movement. And the first Marxist movement in Poland, like the, the party was the Marxist First Proletariat Party. And that was founded in 1882. So, you know, it has a history in Poland. Rosa Luxemburg of the Social Democracy of the Kingdom of Poland and the Lithuania Party was an important early Marxist. That party is a mouthful. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so during the interwar period in the Second Polish Republic, some socialists formed the Communist Party of Poland, KPP, as it shall be known. Most of KPP's leaders and activists perished in the Soviet Union during Stalin's purges in the 1930s, and the party was abolished by the Communist Communist International in... 1938, so it wasn't really didn't live that long, about a decade. When World War II began in 1939, Poland was con- conquered by Nazi Germany quite quickly. 
They threw the cavalry at tanks, didn't end well. The Soviet Union and the government of the Polish Republic went into exile. And then, yeah, things got bad. Poland and the Soviet Union, yeah, it was bad for Poland. We'll talk about that another time. But in 1942, Polish communists and German-occupied Poland established a new Polish Communist Party, the Polish Workers' Party, or PPR. But in the Soviet Union, Stalin and Wanda Vesilevska, I practiced and it's been a while, damn it. Uh, created the Union of Polish Patriots as a communist organization under the Soviet control. Also, to all my Polish friends, I'm really sorry that I'm butchering names. You should have taught me better. (laughs) Well, you probably did, and I didn't learn. That was my bad. Anyway, as Germany was losing the war, the Polish communists cooperated with the Soviet Union in opposition to the Polish government in exile to establish a Soviet-dependent Polish state. This led to the creation of the Polish People's Republic. The PPR merged with the Polish Socialist Party, PPS, to form the Polish United Workers' Party, which ruled until 1989. In post-World War II Poland, the communists initially enjoyed significant popular support due to land reform, a mass-scale rebuilding program, and progressive social policies. But popular support eroded eventually because of repression, economic difficulties, and a lack of general freedom. Despite this, the party, the PZPR, (laughs) stayed in power for four decades under the Soviet influence. So, kind of a classic story of communism. Nothing really that remarkable compared to other nations, I guess. Like, I mean, other than the context of Poland getting massively screwed in World War II, <laughs> I guess. But yeah. Considering the, how much of a percentage of their population had died yeah. in the war, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. We're skipping through quite a bit because... Like we said, we talked a lot about a lot of what happened in like Germany and Czechoslovakia. Same sort of shit that happened in Poland during like the... Well, and there's lots too that will get overlap when we eventually tackle more World War II subjects. Because we're going to talk about Poland and what happened to Poland in World War II another time. Yeah. Uh, this is about solidarity though. And we learned our lesson about too much context. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Kevin turns judgingly at Jonah. Anyway. As with the rest of Eastern Europe at this time, by 1980, the economy of Poland, along with the rest of Eastern Europe, had begun to what is known as Brezhnev stagnation, which basically... We'll talk all about it later. Yeah. But I have a lot to say about Brezhnev. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but in short, just the, trying to follow Brezhnev's policies led to complete economic stagnation within the East, which in turn fucked their economy. The, these individual states' economies. On January first, nineteen eighty, the leader of the Poli- or the first secretary of the Polish United Workers Party, and one of Poland's main leaders, because surprise, surprise, there was more than one. <laughs> Edward Gierek made his New Year's speech and conceded Poland's economy had dropped, which he attributed to the nineteen seventy nine drought and the harsh nineteen seventy nine eighty winter. Western bankers who had provided loans because, yes, surprise, surprise, they were getting loans from Western bankers and like institutions like the World Bank and the IMF. So these institutions had provided loans to the Polish government, and but they informed the latter that Poland could no longer continue to sell consumer goods at the low prices they were at. Forced into a corner, the Politburo issued an order for a gradual and continuous increase in prices, specifically on meat products, beginning on July 1st, 1980. The prices were expected to rise as high as 60%. The day following the announcement, workers in Warsaw, Sanok, Miolech, Czesu, I'm 
butchering these, I'm, I apologize, and Tarnow went on strike. Because with the same with the other places, the prices were going up, but their pay wasn't. Do I need to explain the what is wrong with that image? I think we all get it. We're if all... you've listened to the past couple episodes, you'll know. Well, in reality, we're all kind of in the same boat now. Yeah. <laughs> in some ways. On July 8th, a worker in the city of Lubin, only a few kilometers from the Polish-Soviet border, realized the price of pork had increased by 80% overnight. In retaliation, the factory went on strike, demanding higher salaries and for prices of food products to be lowered. The strike grew to fi- to 50,000 workers from over 150 businesses by the mid-month, with the rail workers considered to be the most belligerent. And there were rumors that they had welded an engine to the rail tracks, although unfortunately, as much as this is talked about, it is actually probably not true. Even though it is actually a rather significant symbol for the, the movement and the strikes at this time, it's unfortunate that it's probably not true. Mm-hmm. Also, think about how difficult it would be to weld an engine to the track. I am about to butcher another name, Andre Andrzech Pachowski, I believe. <laughs> I apologize. Is quoted as saying, "The strikes began leaping like wildfire from one factory to another and from town to town." So this is pretty much where the beginning of the solid. It, this wasn't the solidarity movement, but this is where the it was the, the seeds were being sown for the solidarity movement to begin. The strikes began to gradually end as the government restored or as the government resorted to paying off the workers to convince them to end their calls for ind- for independent trade unions. The Lubin strikes ended on July 25th with the government agreeing to most of the demands including work-free Saturdays, better fru- food supplies and reducing the retirement age. Elsewhere in Poland, the KOR or the Workers Defense Council released memos on July 2nd and 11th calling for the organization of workers to peacefully demand the government make changes to agriculture policy, legally recognize the right to strike, allow the establishment of independent trade unions or committees for workers' representation, and to bring an end to censorship. The Polish opposition spread this information and gathered support through broadcasts on Radio Free Europe, which... Lindsay explained in a previous episode was a American still and still is an American is it an American backed or yeah. okay the American backed radio program that broadcasts into areas I guess basically where press freedom is limited so largely I mean it was traditionally in Eastern Europe like during this time and then now still actually because press freedom is limited and in some I think they've expanded to Asia like a little bit. Through broadcasts on Radio Free Europe, they spread this information about the demands. This refueled the embers of the previous strikers spreading to Warsaw with a strike of sanitation and urban transport workers, which... Should not be fun. No. Especially, like, sanitation especially. Yeah, that would not be great for anybody. So despite having a quote-unquote socialist government in Poland, the elite of the Polish ruling class averaged an income 20 times that of a blue-collar worker in Poland. Uh, The elite ruling class owned or largely controlled the police, the media, and the industry of the state, including state-organized unions. 
Insufficient pay and food shortages led to strikes in 1956 and 1970, which led hundreds of workers towards clashes with the police, and some died. Um, I think hundreds died, actually. And both the 1970 and 1976 strikes ended with some concessions that we talked about. Uh, but workers were increasingly dissatisfied with their standard of living and half-hearted responses of, of the government to their calls for justice, while in 1980 the government attempted to raise the price of meat, as Jonah mentioned. Strikes started to form again, uh, sit-in strikes in particular. Groups began to form underground networks to monitor and oppose the government's behavior. Labor unions formed an important part of this network. The Polish economy shrank for the first time since World War II by 2%, and foreign debt reached $18 billion by 1980, which is insane <laughs> for a country like Poland. Sorry for overlapping a little bit. It's all good. Um, in August 1980, Anna Valentinovic, oh God, that's bad. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Uh, lost her job at the Gdansk shipyard because of her position as an editor of an underground newspaper. When this happened, her fellow workers took action. 16,000 employees of the shipyard just continued their work and occupied its premises on the morning of August 14th, demanding her reemployment, the erection of a monument in honor of the victims of the strikes of 1970, and a pay rise of 2000s lotties, amongst other things. After negotiating with management and having most of their demands met, a vote was taken on August 16th to call the strike off. By this time, however, many of the workers at facilities surrounding the shipyard had begun their own strikes, making similar demands, and it was decided that in solidarity with them, the workers in the shipyard would continue to strike despite their own demands having been met. By the next morning, the Inter-Enterprise Strike Committee, Polish shorthand, MKS, had formed within the gates of the shipyard, intending to unite workers in the gdansk sopot Gdynia ship area and co coordinate action, maintain order, and ensure the safety of the strikers. Lech Walesia was an electrician who had lost his job during the strike in 1976 and was elected chair of the MKS. The remainder of the committee was made up of delegates from other facilities, including Bogdan Lys, Andres Gwiazda, uh, and others. Oh, damn it, I practiced these names. It's just been so long. <laughs> Screwed up. Anyway, by August 18th, the MKS represented workers from 156 separate enterprises, and the number kept on growing. Within two days of the formation of the MKS, the Polish economy was brought to a standstill as workers started strikes at factories and ports all along the Baltic coast. And the ports in Poland are extremely important. Especially like where you're about to talk about, right? Yeah, in Gdansk. This continued to spread, and by the 21st of August, much of the country had been affected by the strikes. The MKS committee at Gdansk was becoming the national center for trade union movement. This phenomenon was unique to this series of events. The strikes in the 50s and 70s had a lack of organized structure and that limited the mobilization of potential striking workers. So there was never any like large wave because there was no real structure to it. It's kind of like how, you know, lots of big protests start and they never seem to quite reach that momentum because there's no one leading it, kind of. The MKS had been specifically designed for this problem in mind though, and they were working to unify and strengthen the movement for the first time, coordinating strikes all across Poland. By this time, or sorry, by this point, and because of the unified front, the government of Edward Gierich, sorry, Edvard Gierik, found their usual strategy of paying off strikers with small concessions was no longer working, and they had to settle into real negotiations with the MKS, which they didn't particularly love. So on the day I love that this, they they resort to bribery, right? I mean, hey, corruption only knows corruption. <laughs> Dictator's gonna dictate, yep. like you know. Let's be real. They accept bribes, so hey, may as well pay them. Anyway, so the day that the MKS was formed on August 17th, they posted a handwritten list of 21 demands in the shipyard. These demands were far broader and all-encompassing than the original postulates of the Gdansk strikers. 
and I'm going to read them for you. <laughs> so, one, acceptance of free trade unions independent of the Communist Party and of enterprises in accordance with, the convention, with convention number 87 of the International Labor Organization concerning the right to form free trade unions which was ratified by the Communist government of Poland. Two, a guarantee of the strike or sorry, a guarantee of the right to strike and of the security of strikers and those aiding them. Three, compliance with the constitutional guarantee of freedom of speech, the press and publication, including freedom for independent publishers and the availability of the mass media to, rep to representatives of all faiths. Four, a return of former rights to one, people dismissed from work after the 1970 and 1976 strikes, and two, students expelled from school because of their views. The release of all political prisoners among them, Edvard Zadarinsky and Jan Kozlowski and Marek Kozlowski, a halt and repression of the individual because of personal conviction. Five, availability to the mass media of information about the formation of the Interfactory Strike Committee and a publication of its demands. Six, the undertaking of actions aimed at bringing the country out of its crisis situation by the following means. A, making public complete information about the so social economic situation, and B, enabling all sectors and social classes to take part in discussion of the reform program. Seven, Compensation of all workers taking part in the strike for the period of the strike with vacation pay from the Central Council of Trade Unions. Eight, an, an increase in the base pay of each worker by 2,000 zloty a month as compensation for the recent raise in prices. Nine, guaranteed automatic increases in pay on the basis of increases in prices and the decline in real income. Ten, a supply of food products for the domestic market with exports limited to surpluses. Eleven, the abolition of, quote, commercial prices and of other sales for hard currency in special shops. 12. The selection of management personnel on the basis of qualifications, not party membership. Privileges of the secret police, regular police, and party apparatus are to be eliminated by equalizing family subsidies, abolishing special source, etc. 13. The introduction of food coupons for meat and meat products during the period in which control of the market situation is regained. 14. Reduction in the age of retirement for women to 50 and for men to 55, or after 30 years employment in Poland for women and 35 years for men, regardless of age. 15. Conformity of old age pensions and, and annuities with what has actually been paid in. 16. Improvements in the working conditions of the health service to ensure full medical care for workers. 17. Assurances of the, a reasonable number of places in daycare centers and kindergartens for the children of working mothers. 18. Paid maternity leave for three years. All right. 19. A decrease in the waiting period for apartments. 20, an increase in the commuter's allowance to 100 zloty from 40, with a su supplemental benefit on separation. 20, and finally, 21, a, rest, a day of rest on Saturday. Workers in the brigade system or round-the-clock jobs are to be compensated for the loss of free Saturdays with an increased leave or other paid time off. These demands ultimately formed the base of what would become the Gdansk Agreement. Uh, the strikes obviously had continued to gain support, and the Gdansk workers were going to hold out until the government gave in to all of their demands. They had time on their hands and also numbers. And, I mean, they'd halted the economy, so the government really was, the ball was in their court. Uh, so on August 31st, 1980, the successful strikers formed the Gdansk Agreement as an authentic social contract with the government. The agreement allowed citizens to bring democratic changes within the communist political structure. Uh, the main concern of the workers was the first and second demands in the list, which was the establishment of trade unions independent of party control and their legal right to strike and safe right to strike. Uh, creating these new groups would demarcate a clear representation of workers' needs. Ultimately, the agreement is 
extremely important to the politics of, politics of Poland because the strikes exposed the corruption and negligence within the state's leadership. By recognizing individual rights, such as the freedom of expression, the government is opened for the upcreation of civil societies. They're open to criticism. And this allows citizens, citizens to come together where all people can agree on human rights regardless of their party beliefs. Ultimately, the Gdansk agreement led to the removal of Garrick and uh, the ins installation of Stanislav Kanya in September 1980. Yep. So I'm sure you're all wondering what solidarity is, unless you already know. In which Although, case, I mean, you can kind of get the idea from what I said about the shipyard. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you already know, good for you. If you figured it out. Yeah. So Solidarity, its full name was the Independent Self-Governing Labor Union Solidarity. I'm not going to say it in Polish because A, I didn't write it down, and B, I would butcher it really bad. It would be impossible to say. Yes. Yeah. I don't even know how to say Solidarity in Polish. So I apologize. And it was founded on September 17th, 1980 in Gdansk. It was the first non-communist party-controlled trade union in a Warsaw Pact country. One thing I should talk about is like when people hear the word trade union, they often associate it with left wing politics, which makes sense because when the term is used politically, it often means on the left. I mean, it just so happens that a lot of left wing ideologies tend to cater towards workers and large and large like actual socialist unions like the IWW and things like that really also contribute to that image exactly but most trade unions are not on the left or the right they're pretty apolitical yeah basically they support like, who supports them <laughs> yeah it's essentially a trade union is just it's a workers union yeah and you can have ones that are on the right ones that are on the left ones that are like liberal and i mean now unions are so big that they're more than just straight trade unions. exactly it's hard to like there's very few straight trade unions very like lots have a number of other like multi-trade or like have other things involved like you know QP is a huge freaking union and like absolutely lots of those unions are massive now and I was founded most symbolically by workers of the Lenin shipyard which is now just simply the Gdansk shipyard which is where the strike took exactly as a big tent social movement for of Polish nationalists republicans and those opposed to the Polish bureaucracy slash politburo Many of its members range from practicing Roman Catholics to those on the anti-Soviet left. So yeah, it was very, pretty much as big tent as you can get in terms of politics. The one thing that they agreed on was that they hated the, the regime. And it was chaired by our good friend Lech Walsa. Walesha. Lech. Or no, Walesha. 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 Oh god, I listened to like I listened to the phonetic thing on Wikipedia like 90 times, <laughs> practiced it, and then we didn't record for like a month and yeah, now I Now uh, we're kind of out. Now I got nothing. Loop. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll just pronounce it Valencia. Yeah, I think that's Valencia. Almost exactly a year after its founding in September 1981, Solidarity reached 10 million members, which was one third of Poland's working age population. So that's pretty impressive. Just kind of like how we went from a thousand downloads last year to five thousand today, as we record. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. No. <laughs> In January 1981, Val Valicia, oh my God, Lech, 
and several other members were granted an audience with Pope John Paul II, who was rather important in terms of helping sol solidarity and Poland. But we are not going to be talking about him that much because we have a, it would have been a lot to talk about. And honestly, his contributions to Poland could be an episode of its own. Solidarity saw several successes during 1981, including the forced recognition of the of the Bielsko Biala provincial governor Joseph Lub Lubdek, Mayor Mayor Marian Calon, and the chief of police, amongst many others, during the 1981 Bielsko Biala general strike from January 27th to February 6th. The organization also started a warning strike in March after over two dozen of its members were attacked in the, oh my goodness, the Bydogosech. Sorry. I apologize, Poland. And this involved 12 million people and was the largest Eastern, was the largest strike in the Eastern Bloc and a basically brought Poland's economy to a standstill. Solidarity deemed enough of a threat for the Polish ministries of defense and interior to conduct a war game at the internal defense forces HQ between the 16th and 20th of February, 1981 under the supervision of the Soviet military and KGB officials. They made four recommendations. One, achieve surprise in order to effectively eliminate solidarity, which was had gained millions of supporters. Two, take action on weekends, ideally either between Friday night and Saturday, midnight on Saturday, or early morning on Sunday to as to minimize resistance. Three, internment of approximately 6,000 solidarity activists, as well as members of other independent unions and social bodies. Six to 12 hours following these detentions, a formal declaration of a state of war should be made. The detentions should be made before in order to curtail resistance. And for a preemptive assault on the workplaces to be made by the motorized reserves of the citizens militia, also known as ZOMO, and the security service or SB in order to prevent major confrontations with the populace. Now ZOMO is basically the I guess the uh, Poland's equivalent to the Stasi. Yeah. Well, kind of. the SB is, but Zomo are basically their hired goons. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. They're kind of like the Pinkertons of <laughs> Poland. I would say that from what I read about them, basically that's what they were. Yeah. In the meantime, the Polish government simply. I just always think about the Weezer album when people say Pinkerton. Oh, of course. <laughs> In the meantime, the Polish government simply tried to buy time through false promises, but knew soon solidarity could erupt into a larger problem the longer the issues persisted. Ronald Reagan, who was at this point was president, kept a close eye on the escalating situation in Poland from the earliest point in his presidency. He threatened to impose sanctions on the USSR should they interfere in similar fashion to Hungary and Czechia in 1956 and 68, respectfully, as well as back, as well as step back detente. Yeah. I mean, Reagan was known to kind of try and rough things up. He was in cowboy movies, people. Uh, this is how they dealt with people in the cowboy movies. 
Since the beginning of the strikes, the Politburo was facing pressure from the Soviets to take action to quickly quell the growing opposition. However, the latter was hesitant as they were certain it would lead to an armed conflict. At a December 1st Politburo meeting, the members decided to go into a state of alert and place armed forces on 24-hour duty and increasing the patrols with emphasis on protecting government buildings and ministries. Two days later, Solidarity had reached the peak of its patience at their meeting in Red Dom, finding they could do nothing more than continue to voice their demands. By now, it had expanded to include democratic elections to the National Councils, creation of the Social Council for National Economy, and allow Solidarity to speak with the media. These are all things that the communist government definitely did not want. <laughs> The movement also ordered a full-day strike in response to the Sejem, which is the Polish, the, the, well, the Polish lower house, granting itself extraordinary powers, with the strike extending indefinitely should the government go forward with the plan. Martial law was officially declared on December 13th, a curfew was imposed, the bo national borders and airports were closed, and road access was restricted between Poland's major cities. Furthermore, Lech, oh my God, Lech? Lech and other prominent opposition members were jailed and Solidarity and other movements were banned. The government formed the Military Council of National Salvation. The government enforced the six-day work week with the media, public services, medical facilities, power plants, mines, ports, rail stations, and a majority of the factories placed under direct military control. Workers were forced to take orders from military personnel or face court-martial. Makeshift military courts were established across the country with the power to bypass the regular court system and imprison those deemed to be spreading quote-unquote false information. I, I want to get your opinion on this. Does this sound, this, this sounds a lot worse than a lot of the other places that we talked about so far. Would you agree? sounds a lot worse yeah like in terms of what was happening yeah i guess yeah because like as bad as like things were in germany yeah i mean you can't really compare it to the velvet revolution because different you yeah. czechs and slovaks you guys managed to be peaceful for the most part for sure um but like in terms of like where germany where it was rather like they're they're for lack of a better term their state security was were fucking nuts but yeah, they, they like none of the other places I looked at imposed that strict of martial law where the factories were under control of the military. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I think in part because East Germany like fell so fast. Yeah. Right. I mean, po this was happening over a pretty large like long period of time in a way. So. Well, yeah, as you'll find out, the martial law lasted years yeah but like this whole like poland uh communism falling in poland really took like a long time so the government was going to like restrict so it does make it worse in lots of ways because at least like i mean in germany it was pretty swift just uh started, the rest of started tearing down a wall pretty much most like, of the rest of europe it was quick. pretty swift yeah, yeah. Uh, most of um, them are bloody but what russia gets kind of bloody russia gets well romania yeah, well, yeah, it's yeah. probably aside from <laughs> Russia is probably the bloodiest oh yeah Russia uh, yeah for sure um, definitely and yeah I mean like aside from Russia yeah no I was just thinking I was like Russia really wasn't that bad 
Well, it might be the bloodiest then, but yeah. we'll get into that. Yeah. But like <laughs> the, the thing about the like, Germania really takes the cake. <laughs> yeah, well, with uh, Poland like taking its like taking so long to get to the point where we will get at the end of this episode, I think that in a lot of ways helped for the rest of the countries to be quick. Probably. They didn't want that fate. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And I don't blame them. No. But also because those countries had, like, their leaders by that point had seen what had happened elsewhere. For sure. They were scared. They were, well, they were scared, but also they were just, they were just a lot of moderates at that point in power, like, especially, like, in places like uh, Czechoslovakia. Well, and I think there was, like, an, a level of inevitability for them, too. Like, yeah. they saw what happened elsewhere and were like, well, if it reaches here... Are we really going to be able to control it? Yeah, so it's, and the answer was no. I so. mean, that and also on top of uh, Gorbachev's reluctance to intervene yeah. really led to this. But like this, this, I just wanted to stop and talk about this because I want to emphasize how important Poland's uh, the events were in, instrumental to inspiring the rest of Eastern Europe to follow suit. Yeah, I mean, us doing it out of order actually kind of doesn't do it justice in that sense because this is a really... This, this one was really important, too. Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring everything. Kicking it off. Aside from the Berlin Wall, which was super important, I think Poland would probably... Yeah, I think there's, like... When I think... When I kind of think about, like, this decade and, like, the fall of communism in general, I basically think of, like, solidarity, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and communism formally collapsing in the USSR and, like, with, like, the White House being occupied in Moscow and, like, all that stuff. Yeah. Like, those are the three, like, big, you know, big flashbulb moments that I think about when I think of the fall of communism in Eastern Europe. Well, and also Yugoslavia, but for different reasons. Yeah. Like, I don't think about, like, the revolution part. I think about the civil war part. <laughs> yeah, that was a whole independent can of worms. <laughs> and that was just a whole other thing. Yeah. So I don't, I don't really class that in in the same way just because it was ultimately a bit different. Anyway, no, I, I think that's fair not yeah. to class that in because it was... It was different. Well, it, it was completely independent of, uh, yeah. of Soviet influence. Also that, too. Yeah. Uh, Whereas this... This is, this is really, we're talking about the fall of, like, communism, like the Soviet republics, essentially. Exactly, the yeah. And the civil Soviet sphere of influence. Because, really, you could say Yugoslavia wasn't even in the sphere of influence because, you know, they hated each other. <laughs> well, Tito hated... Tito and Stalin were not friends. Anyway, no. still one of my favorite tidbits. <laughs> But yeah, it's just, and also like just. This but yeah, those are the three moments I really think about, and so, yeah, it's kind of weird we're doing it out of order, and that kind of hurts. It doesn't do this episode any justice. Yeah, and we absolutely in that way, we but. we continue to apologize for that, but it also makes sense that things like that would start in Poland because, yeah, at the time I'm I hope I'm right that was the most populous country in the Eastern Bloc. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure it was yeah. like. In, in terms of the Warsaw Pact, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, other than the Soviet Union, of course. But after the Soviet Union, it's Poland because... Uh, would it be Poland or Ukraine? Well, Ukraine was part well, of the Soviet was, Union. So that's yeah. that's what I mean. I guess, like, yeah, Ukraine's kind of a weird one. I always still think of it as having its own, like, still a little more separate under communism, but it wasn't. It, it rarely wasn't. Yeah. No. It had, like, really... That was, like, the most puppet status of all of them. Well, it wasn't even, like, the thing about it is, uh, I guess we can quickly dive into this. I don't think our listeners care. They kind of like, I've heard good things, like, they like it when we do shit like this. But um, the thing about, like, you, like the Ukraine and the other S SSRs yeah. is the, it's not that they were puppets. They were, like, 
it was like a, the Soviet Union was like a federation. Yeah, yeah. With like Russia and Ukraine and what yeah, having yeah, like yeah. federal stuff, like special federal status. Yeah. So it wasn't Ukraine was not an independent country. It no, was yeah. part of the USSR. So that's why I say, aside from uh, the USSR, yeah. Poland was the most populated. For sure. For sure. I guess I just like. No, I, I know that. I just like also think about them and I think about them still like in separate republics. So I'm like, well, <laughs> like Ukraine's yeah. pretty large, but then yeah, it is ultimately the USSR. Yeah, they. I mean, every everyone in Eastern Europe follows like had followed directions from yeah. Moscow, but for sure, in particular, yeah, the the, the SSRs <laughs> yeah. rolling sure. like as like I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying this, but they were not. That they were independent. No, they were not independent. They were. Part, they yeah. were definitely the part only of thing the that like Union. but they the reason I say they have like puppet status is like independence is that this is kind of a random connection to make but um, in the in the Moscow Metro famously the Moscow Metro has really elaborate metro stations because Stalin wanted art to be public etc 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 anyway a lot of the stations are themed around like friends of the Soviet Union and so like it's like a almost like a donation like we here we made you this nice mural or this piece of art that we've donated to you as like we're friends. And um, one of them was from Ukraine. And so it kind of like, kind of props it up as being like, you know, our friends in Ukraine as like, you know, our socialist neighbors in Ukraine is almost like makes it sound like a separate country. Like they're kind of, Uh, they demarcate it, but it's really not like, they make it kind of, it's it's like propped up as they say, like a puppet in a sense that it's like, we're going to make it look real official. Yeah, well, <laughs> they, had, they had quote-unquote special status with the exactly. Soviet Union, like the rest of the SSRs, yeah. but that's, I yeah. say quote-unquote because, like, in reality, they really didn't. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so that was kind of just the thing it made me think of is, like, that's sort of the, the reference, like, and, and Belarus was the same, like. Yeah, well, and, it's absolutely fair to think of them as separate. Yeah. But I, it's just And also, not, too, just because... I know enough, like, Ukrainians who are, like, separate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, obviously. So, but, like, yeah. Uh, I think they get the message. Let's move on. Yeah, tangent, tangent aside. A delegation from the Hungarian Socialist Workers' Party made a visit to Poland from December 27th to the 29th. They recalled their time dealing with the so-called, quote, counter-revolution of 56 and offered advice soon after the state television aired a film detailing the hungarian revolution the brutality of its instigators and the harsh repercussions of those who supported and started the revolution ironically martial law was supported by members of the right in poland who believed solidarity were secretly trotskyites of course they did that's like the least surprising thing (laughs) ever wow (laughs) Solidarity organized and held a protest in Victory Square in Warsaw on December 17th, which was the anniversary of the 1970 Gidnia massacre. Pachowski dubbed the event, quote, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, end quote. I should probably say Pachowski is a, is a man who um, wrote a book about the history of, the, of this kind of era in Poland. A lot of like the history of Poland. CIA operatives made contact with Solidarity, you know, as they do, mm. and even provided them with TV broadcast equipment, a printing press. As the CIA does. Yeah. And money. <laughs> also as the CIA does. Yeah. I've never heard of them providing TV broadcast equipment and a printing press before, but 
Honestly, though, it just doesn't surprise me because they supply you with whatever they think you need. <laughs> yeah. No, whatever Guys. they know. Sorry, whatever they know you need. I mean, mon- the money makes sense. Yeah, of course. But, but I mean, it makes sense that they wouldn't have access to a printing press. Well, I, I'm just also imagining this in my head. This is yeah. what makes me laugh. Laugh is imagining like agents like you guys can have whatever you want. Oh, can we have broadcast equipment and a printing press? Okay. No. What about something like uh, guns? oh, just do you want guns? guns? No, no, no. Just listen to this. Well, how about guns? But but you guys no no no. Can we offer you some cool. guns? It's cool. It's cool. No no no. All right. Well, we'll give you some money and you can do you know what you want with it. But can we also offer you some guns? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're not even being that like yeah. obviously like oh you could have guns or yeah. this and like oh we need a printer. Okay. okay. Yeah, we'll give didn't you this. See, we'll didn't give you see this, that one coming. We'll give you this money that you can use whatever you want with it. Okay. Anyway, this plan was expanded upon in May 1982 by the National Security Strategy of the United States. The Reagan administration stepped up its clandestine activities in the Eastern Bloc in the hopes of ending communist rule, <laughs> which sounds like Reagan. Okay. We can't even. I cannot. No, neither of us can really emphasize enough how much Reagan hated communism. It, yeah. <laughs> Which I respect it on some level, but like... On some level, yeah. He's <laughs> a passionate man. Yeah. The CIA began supporting Solidarity as far back as 1980 and saw its initial success in helping the organization force the Polish government to concede certain demands. It was this success which led the CIA to get involved in Afghanistan and supporting the Mujahideen, which is an interesting fact I was not aware of until I did the research for this. So not only did Poland succeed in causing this domino effect in Eastern Europe, they they inspired the CIA, like the success of the CIA in Poland inspired them to go into the Mujahideen and create the clusterfuck that is happening now. Yeah. <laughs> and also what ultimately helped bring down the Soviet Union, too. Exactly. I'm not saying it's all the Americans' fault, obviously, but no. they had a big part a of it. Pretty large role, yeah. I mean, to be <laughs> fair, Afghanistan, the current situation in Afghanistan is larger than just yeah. that. It's hundreds of years of stuff. Yeah. Stay tuned in February when we get to that episode. Jesus Christ. On December 16th, miners from the Wujek coal mine went on strike. Members of Zomo and the Polish army were sent to break up the strike. In the end, Zomo opened fire, killing nine miners. The massacre is known as the pacification of Wujek, which... The term pacification, I now get chills down my spine hearing. Yeah. In response, the U.S. imposed sanctions on Poland starting on December 23rd. The following year, they suspended Poland from the, quote, most favored nation's trade status and also vetoed Poland's application to the IMF. It's interesting that they had a most favored nation's list. Doesn't really surprise me. To trade, like, with Eastern. It doesn't surprise me because, uh, well, it makes, honestly, it makes sense to me. And I think that still exists, too. There's nations... Nations in certain, like, status that there's, like, we'd prefer to trade with them over other ones, but, like... Saudi Arabia? Yeah, exactly. Looking at you, Saudis. <laughs> well, yeah. Really wish we didn't prefer trading with them, but yeah. here we are. John Paul II voiced his concern in a letter with 
uh, to primate of Poland, Stefan Cardinal Wazinski. I'm going to read a paragraph from the letter. Reports that reach me from various parts of Poland show that vast masses of the working people are conscious of the necessity to devote themselves fully to their work in order to overcome the country's economic difficulties. They desire to work and not strike. Together with the church in Poland, I pray that this may happen and that an agreement is reached between the state authorities and the representatives of the working people to strengthen internal peace and a renewal of those principles which were agreed upon by everyone last autumn. And I wanted to include that just because of how beautiful those words are. Yeah. Again, John Paul had a huge, like because of his vocal support for Solidarity, the world paid attention. Yeah. In response to Solidarity's ban, Cornell Morawiecki, Jesus Christ, Jonah, you suck. Founded Fighting Solidarity, an underground resistance self-declared as the successor to the Polish resistance of World War II. The organization conducted information warfare through the printing and distribution of an anti-government newspaper, or Bibula. They even made attempts to infiltrate the secret police. The organization was strictly nonviolent and denounced violence and terrorism. In an act of desperation following various failed attempts to infiltrate the group, the secret police resorted to kidnapping Morawiecki's children as ransom. This did not work. <laughs> Zbigniew Bujak, that's quite a name. A solidarity probably leader. Probably sounds better when yeah, we're not saying probably. That. A solidarity leader who slipped away from authorities published a call to action where he asked citizens to organize rallies and protests beginning August 31st, 1982, the second anniversary of the Gdansk Agreement. In retort, Polish state media, the PAP, released a government statement warning citizens the laws in place by the military council would use any means necessary to maintain, quote-unquote, law and order. The pro... pro um, Protests popped up in over 66 cities and towns, with the most violent clashes occurring in the urban centers of Warsaw, Krakow, Gdansk, and Warklaw. One protester, Kazmierz Mikulczyk, was killed after being shot by a soldier. A total of 4,050 demonstrators were arrested nationwide, mostly in Warklaw, where a total of 645 were arrested. The most violent of the demonstrations was in Lubin, some of the rhetoric screamed by the demonstrators were free Lech Valsa and calling the military Gestapo. Zomo viciously attacked protesters and a line of police opened fire, killing two. A third died on September 5th from his wounds. The deaths only succeeded in further angering the crowd and the ensuing riots lasted until 10 p.m. and nearly overwhelmed the Zomo and local police. However, reinforcements arrived and were able to, quote, pacify, unquote, the city, which is a terrifying fucking thing to way to describe it. These events were the last major acts of defiance during martial law. It was eventually lifted on July 22, 1983. However, most of those imprisoned remained detained for another three years. Huh. So in November 1987, Poland held a referendum. Ultimately, the government wanted to obtain a mandate for difficult economic and political reforms. So voters were presented with two questions. 
Are you in support of radical economic reform? And are you in support of deep, deep democratization of political life? The first proposal would have allowed the government to carry out, quote, full government program, or carry out the full government program for radical economic recovery aimed at improving living conditions on their understanding that this would require a difficult two to three year period of, quote, rapid changes. The second would lead to the introduction of a new, quote, Polish model for democratizing political life aimed at strengthening self-government, extending the rights of citizens, and increasing their participation in running the country. Around a third of eligible voters did not participate in the referendum in order to defy the regime. So only 44% of Poland's 26 million, million eligible voters voted yes to the question on economic reform, and 46% voted yes to the second question on democratization in Poland. Excuse me. And so even though a majority of the votes cast supported the propositions, therefore saying the referendum should pass, um, it didn't because according to the rules of the referendum, the majority of eligible voters had to vote yes in order for the referendum to pass. So because only 44 and 46% of eligible voters had voted, the referendum failed. And this loss was unprecedented as a communist authority had never lost a vote until then. <laughs> On a technicality, no less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. <laughs> Following the referendums, the Politburo began work on suppressing the still active underground solidarity and fighting solidarity movements. Morawiecki was arrested in November while Walsha was released and resumed his position. A new series of demonstrations were organized for August 21st, 1987, the 7th anniversary of Gdansk, which took place in Warsaw, Lubin, Warkla, and Bidoshitz. These events saw street clashes between protesters and police, which is a common occurrence, I guess. Yeah. On March 8th, 1988, the anniversary of the 1968 Polish political crisis, the Independent Students' Union organized further demonstrations which were quickly met with crackdowns. The same year, on April 21st, 5,000 workers from the Stalowa Wola Steelworks released the demands for the government to cease the repression of Solidarity's members and a salary increase of 20,000 zloty. After no response, the workers went on strike for four days. Or the workers went on strike four days later. The following day, the Vladimir Lenin Steelworks of Krakow, the largest business in Poland, joined the strike. The demands now included reinstating all solidarity workers who had been fired due to their affiliation with the organization. Forces from Zomo and an anti-terrorist unit were dispatched to suppress to, to suppress those strikes. The overwhelmed workers of Stalowa surrendered on April 30th. However, the Krakow workers continued to defy orders to cease and held on. On May 4th, Volsa addressed the Lenin shipyard and declared, quote, if we don't get a real reform this time, it will come to a bloody revolution. The only reason the whole country isn't yet on strike is because it's too soon, end quote. That day, 460,000 coal miners released an unofficial dispute with the Politburo. On the night between May 4th and 5th, members of Zoma and the anti-terrorist units stormed the steelworks and ruthlessly repressed the strikers. The 1988 crisis was more tense than the one in 1980-81, with fears of the Lenin shipyards being stormed and sending the country into civil war. Throughout the remainder of spring 1988, Solidarity attempted in vain to have the Union legalized. 
In response, Solidarity urged citizens to boycott the June 19th local elections. The government responded with declaring Solidarity to be a dead movement and having one of their sociologists claims that, claim that only 28% of Polish people believe the forms will work. This percentage was actually highly skewed, which is no surprise of a communist government. On August 15th, coal mines in Upper Silesia went on strike. These took the, both the government and solidarity leaders by surprise at the, as the miners managed to keep their plans from e secret from even the secret police. And to put this in perspective, Upper Silesia is one of the mineral-rich areas of Poland. The largest of the strikes occurred in the Stalowa Wolane, which involved 10,000 workers. The event is known as the fourth nail in the coffin of communism. <laughs> Further strikes occurred in Gdansk and Szczecin. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. By this point, the Polish government was worn out and it was clear Gorbachev would not intervene on their behalf. In September, Minister of Internal Affairs, Szesla Kizesak, secretly met with Walsha where both men agreed to roundtable talks in order to come to an agreement between the two sides. As a result, Volsa convinced the striking workers to cease their strike and go back to work. Solidarity and the government began talks on February 6, 1989 at the Council of Ministers' Office. Volsa and Kizazak acted as co-chairs. The government were hoping to assimilate the opposition into the ruling parties while not making any major change to their political power. Over the next three months, the entire structure of Poland's politics would be altered. By April 4th, both sides made several major agreements. One was an independent trade union, was independent trade unions would be legalized. There would be the establishment of an office of president and abolish, and it would abolish the powers held by the Communist Party General Secretary. President would be an elected office with six-year terms, and the Senate would be reinstated. In the aftermath, Valsa founded the Solidarity Citizens Committee, a political party advocating anti-communism and liberal democracy. It's coming to an end, guys. Perhaps the most important decision to come out of the roundtable talks was to allow for partially free elections in Poland. Uh, a fully free election was promised in four years. It's kind of vague, literally, quote-unquote, <laughs> in four years. Um, all seats in the newly recreated Senate of Poland were to be elected democratically, as were 161 seats, so 35% in the Sejim. The remaining 65% of the seats in, were reserved for the PZPR and its satellite parties, the United People's Party, the Alliance of Democrats, and other communist-aligned Catholic parties. I find that whole dynamic really interesting. Yeah. But anyway, it's <laughs> a conversation for later. Uh, these seats were still technically elected, but only government-sponsored candidates were allowed to compete for them, so mm, not really <laughs> elected. In addition, all 35 seats elected via the countrywide list were reserved for the PZPR's candidates, provided they gained a certain quota of support. This was to ensure that the most notable leaders of the PZPR were elected. You know, it's not got to be fully free. We're going to rig some of it. The outcome of the election was actually pretty un unpredictable, though, and pre-electoral opinion polls were pretty inconclusive, as honestly they usually are. <laughs> um, let's be honest, it hasn't gotten much better. 
Uh, after all, Poland had not had a truly fair election since the 1920s, and there was really no precedent to go by. <laughs> it's been a long time. So the, the last contested elections were those in 1947, in the midst of communist-orchestrated violent oppression and electoral fraud, so also not really a good comparison to have to make. Again, not much precedent. So this time, there would be open and relatively fair competition for many seats, both between communist and solidarity candidates, and in some cases, between various communist candidates. So. Lots of options. No one's sure how it was going to go. Censorship was still in force, but the opposition was actually allowed to campaign a lot more freely than before, thanks to a newspaper called Gazeta Vyborska, and also the reactivation, reactivation of Solidarity's publication, Tagodnik. Yeah, which is a weekly magazine. Solidarity was also given access to televised media, which al being allocated 23% of electoral time on Polish, te Polish television. That is a very precise percentage. <laughs> there are also no restrictions. There are also no restrictions on financial support. That seems like a bad idea. <laughs> although the communists, um, <laughs> although the communists were like clearly unpopular, there were no hard numbers as to how low support for them would actually fall. So a rather flawed survey carried out in April, days after the roundtable agreement, suggested that over 60% of the surveyed people wanted solidarity cooperate to cooperate with the government. Another survey a week later regarding the Senate elections showed that 48% of the surveyed supported the election, or sorry, supported the opposition, 14% supported the communist government, and 38% were undecided. In such a situation, both sides faced another unfamiliar aspect, the electoral campaign. <laughs> oh, I'm sure this was like the most awkward campaign in history. <laughs> no one knows what to do. The communists knew they were guaranteed 65% of the seats, so that's a nice thing to go in knowing. And they expected a difficult but a winnable context. In fact, they were concerned about a possibility of quote unquote winning too much. They desired some pop that's kind of funny. They desired some opposition which would serve to legitimize their government both internally and internationally. The communist government still had no control over most major media outlets. Or still had sorry, they had a lot of control, not no control. They had all of the control. Uh, over most major media outlets and employed sports and television celebrities as candidates, as well as successful local personalities and business people. So they actually figured out how to campaign pretty quickly. <laughs> Some members of the opposition were worried that such tactics would gain enough votes from the less educated segment of the population to give the communists legitimacy, legitimacy that they craved. Only a few days before June 4th, the party's central committee was discussing the possible reaction of the Western world should Solidarity not win a single seat. At the same time, the Solidarity leaders were trying to prepare some set of rules for the non-party MPs in a communist-dominated parliament, as it was expected that the party would not win more than 20 seats. Solidarity was also complaining that the electoral districts were drawn not favorable towards it, so, you know, gerrymandering was a thing there, too. The outcome of the election, though, was actually a major surprise to both parties. Uh, Solidarity's electoral campaign was much more successful than they expected, or anyone expected at all. They won a landslide victory, winning all but one of the hundred seats in the Senate and all of the contested seats in the CM. The sole seat in the Senate, which was not won by Solidarity, was won by an independent candidate. So, still not won by the communists. <laughs> Out of 35 seats in the countrywide list in which Solidarity was not allowed to compete, only one was gained by a PZPR candidate and one by a satellite party candidate in the first round. None of the others attained the required 50% majority. The communists regained some seats during the second round, but the first round was highly humiliating to them, and the psychological impact of that has been called shattering <laughs> by some people. And that's a mic drop. <laughs> yeah. 
British-Polish historian Norman Davies estimated that the elections showed that real support for the communists in Poland was between 3 and 4%. However, according to the results of the actual election, government supported candidates competing against solidarity members gained 10 to 40% of votes in total, varying by constituency. Altogether, out of 161 seats eligible, Solidarity took 161. Uh, 160 in the first round and one more in the second. In the 161 districts in which opposition candidates competed against pro-government candidates, the opposition candidates obtained 71.3% of the vote, which is a lot. <laughs> the single Solidarity candidate was not to be elected in the first round attributed to his failure to missing an opportunity to take an electoral photo with Valesia, something all the other Solidarity candidates were also able to do. Uh, so that guy was just an idiot, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but eventually he got in, so it was fine. While Solidarity, having secured 35% of seats available to it, the remaining 65% was divided between the PZPR and its satellite parties. The distribution of seats among the PZPR and its allies was already known beforehand, so again, not really important. Uh, voter turnout, though, was actually surprisingly low. Only 62% of eligible voters showed up in the first round, and only 25% in the second. The second round, with the exception of one district, was a contest between two po the two most popular pro-government candidates, so I guess that kind of explains why no one really cared. But the magnitude of the Communist Coalition's defeat was so great that there were initially fears that either the PZPR or the Kremlin would actually just annul the results. <laughs> yeah. That did not happen. Yeah. What happened after that is like because solidarity, solidarity's position, they were now in power. They basically took power yeah. away, and like by then the Polish people were done, and because Walsa had so much influence with the Polish people, yeah. the Communist Party stepped aside. Yeah, I mean, you at this point, if you want to survive and not. Can't beat them, join them. If you don't want your country to devolve, or yeah, to devolve into civil war, yeah. that's what you have to do. Yeah. Volsa became, I believe, he became the first president of the of the non-communist Poland. I'm actually just looking this up. He was elected as the president of Poland in 1990, and he was the first president of Poland ever elected in a popular vote. It was him who proceeded over Poland's successful transition into, the, into a liberal democracy. And he stayed in office from, 19, from December 22, 1990 until December 22, 1995. He's not as active in Polish politics anymore, but he still kind of mingles with Polish politicians today. I mean, he's still highly regarded in Poland for good reason. As for the Solidarity Movement, the trade union itself still exists. Yeah. It's nowhere near as big as it used to be and definitely does not have as many members anymore, but that's because there's, there's way more options yeah. <laughs> in terms of unions but uh, it's still around uh, again it's just not as influential and I don't think that the leaders the current leaders of solidarity are unhappy that it has lost its influence I think they're kind of content with how things are mm -hmm. but I'm just kind of rambling right now but anyway yeah. so that's what happened in Poland that's uh, that's solidarity 
So that was like, yeah, that was the first major, like, well, during the, during the 1980s, it was like the first major fuck you to the Soviet Union. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't really surprise me that it comes from Poland because even though they got really, um, they got really majorly fucked by the Soviets and the Nazis during the Second World War, they still found a way to make both kind of both nations lives miserable <laughs> through the partisans yeah or not the i guess they wouldn't be called they weren't called partisans but the resistance the polish resistance was aside from the french resistance were probably the most successful resistance group or maybe other than tito's resistance in yugoslavia i don't know would, would you agree yeah they were pretty badass in poland like, the, like with the resistance yeah, in World yeah, War II. I agree. So it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that they ended up being this kind of like they ended up making such a big resistance. No. In the eighties. Well, I would kind of. I mean, I think yes, but also like some of it. Like I think we're like the the eighties were different, and like solidarity was different in that like starting with the MKS and that it was just so much more organized than previous strikes and resistances. Yeah. And that, like, really was kind of the key there. But I think the, yeah, the movement in Poland was always kind of strong. strong. Well, also never underestimate a uh, people's will to remain free. Yep, for sure. And the, there's that do- great documentary series, which I think all of you guys should watch, uh, called The 80s. Yeah. And there's actually a good portion, they talk about this, in a, a, a good portion of the... Of, about solidarity and uh, he said it was one of the guys that they interviewed says solid, the most interesting thing about solidarity is that it was a trade union but not run by left wingers it was instead Polish na- it was run by Polish nationalists <laughs> so it's like one of the first times that anyone had really ever seen something like that on that scale and again it led to a basic, basically a domino effect throughout the rest of Eastern Europe also weird bringing up a domino effect in terms of collapse communist collapsing because like for those of you who know like they always use the domino effect to describe oh this is what will happen when one country falls they all fall, they all fall. and it kind of happened <laughs> kind of not really but well i mean like when vietnam happened they said like yeah. well laos is gonna fall cambodia is gonna fall thailand is gonna fall burma yeah. like they're all gonna fall well laos cambodia and vietnam fell and that's it Pretty much. I mean, eventually it stops. It kind of always does. Yeah, but they were like saying, "Oh, they're all gonna oh, fall." I know. But that's but that's how that generally goes. Like, everyone's like, "It's always always gonna fall," but then it always actually doesn't. Like, yeah, it stops. There's well, usually they, momentum that runs out. Well, I remember they also said, uh, "If Vietnam goes, then that means that India is gonna fall to communism." Yeah. Didn't quite happen. <laughs> I mean, they've do, they've been dealing with their own communist issues in India apparently there's not really well talked about but there is a communist insurgency in India and nobody talks about it interesting so that'll be that could be an interesting episode well, to talk about, talk about Kashmir like, first. definitely have to talk about Kashmir first we promised one of our listeners that we would do that next season and uh, I'm happy to say I hope you're still listening yeah. we are doing it yeah yeah <laughs> it is planned it is gonna go it is going forward with that all right so housekeeping yeah 
So Romania, or this will be out, yeah. So Romania episodes, our next one, will be out on December... 23rd. 23rd. I'm planning. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, Again, you'll find out why it's our Christmas episode. And then on Christmas, we'll be posting all of our favorite Christmas songs to cheer you up after you listen to that episode. <laughs> We're going to be posting, like, what is our favorite celebrity Christmas song. Yeah, well, just favorite Christmas songs that don't suck because uh, <laughs> we both aren't really fond of Christmas music um, well when it's played over and over again for a whole month yeah it's pretty awful yeah, yeah so then we're going to take a bit of a break for Christmas we'll be back sometime in January maybe closer to February yeah well actually we were planning we're after Christmas between Christmas and New Year's we're going to do another nonsense episode yeah cool. uh, and we have a really good topic oh, right. for that right. I don't want to reveal it just yet because it's going to be really fun but we'll reveal it soon, like probably next episode, because I kind of want to get some suggestions. Well, I, I want to get some listener Actually, input. Actually, we, we should do a listener mailbag. We should. I'd love to do that. Okay, cool. But that's what I'm like. Well, I want to get. I want to get some listener, um, like some. Uh, I keep yeah. wanting to say cooperation, but that's not a collaboration. Participation. Participation. That's it. Yeah. If uh, you, uh, yeah, and actually, on that in that vein, if you want to, uh, you know. Tell us you love us, hate us, or have ideas for us, or whatever. Follow us on social media, at Pod on Twitter, at Podcast on Instagram, and... Just Panastory and Other Nonsense on Facebook. Both, yeah, Panastorypod. Yeah, follow us on there. We also have a blog going. It's been kind of dormant, so apologies for that. Been kind of a hellish month. We're going to get that going more in the new year. Uh, decided to... We're going to focus, focus on this season first. Yeah. Yeah. So that's about it, really. Some further, like a little oh, bit more. Also, house. Patreon. If you like what you're listening to, please support us on Patreon. Yeah, please um, consider donating to us on Patreon. It's only, like, even if it's just a dollar a month. It's not really a donation. You get stuff in return. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> even if it's consider well, unless you just don't, unless you only donate a dollar. Regardless. But uh, consider investing. Um, us. Even if you can only just donate a dollar a month, that'd be great. Like, we're always appreciative of people, especially Brian. It's been a while since I've shouted out Brian, so I might as well do it now. Um, other thing is, yeah, so we're gonna go on a bit. We're going to go on a break for Christmas, like we did last year. Well, I mean, we were between seasons last year, but anyway, it'll be a shorter break this time because we're in the middle of a season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we will be going on a break until about uh, maybe second or third, like second week of January. Yeah, uh, we're gonna come out with an, a, another other nonsense episode. After that, straight back into Panasoria, we're going to be talking about the second half of Fall of Communism theme. Yeah. And we basically get to the Soviet Union. Well, there's one that's not in the Soviet Union, but the rest after, after that. <laughs> yeah. The big, uh, the big one starts yeah. to fall. The only one that isn't is uh, Mongolia. Yeah. Because surprise, surprise, if you didn't know, Mongolia was a communist country. Uh, that's anyway. it, I believe, for today. So anyway, that's... We That's hope, everything for today. We really, really, really hope that we did justice to the people of Poland, just as we hope we did justice to uh, the Czechs, the Slovaks, the Germans, the Slovenians, the Croats, the Bosnians, you know, all the places we've talked about. So let us know if you... I think we have listeners in Poland. Please let us know and if you uh, now hate us or if you love us. Because uh, we certainly love you. Yeah. And thank you all for listening. And that's it. I'm rambling on now. So I will talk to you guys later. This is Jonah. 
I'm Lindsay. Thank you guys so much. Have a good day.